Hello, and welcome to Western States 100 Race Week. You are listening to the Pillars Podcast. I am your host, Dylan Bowman, and today we are bringing you the audio of some pre-race interviews we did live from Olympic Valley with some of the top athletes in this year's race. These are shorter interviews played back-to-back with a total of six guests today. Those guests are as follows in chronological order, Jeff Browning, Matt Daniels, Ruth Croft, Tim Tollefson, Beth Pascal, and Jared Hazen. It is a star-studded group. These are some awesome interviews. I hope you all enjoy them. And just as a reminder, Western States will have live stream coverage of the race all day on Saturday. Myself and Corinne Malcolm will be your co-hosts. So I hope you all will tune in to the Western States 100 YouTube channel all day on Saturday. Clear your schedules. This is going to be an amazing race and you don't want to miss out. I'll link to the YouTube channel in the show notes. So make sure you subscribe. Okay. Here's the Western States live pre-race interview show from Wednesday, June 23rd, live from Olympic Valley, starting with the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Jeff Browning. Yes. Thank you. Welcome to the 2021 Western States 100 live from here in Olympic Valley, only steps away from where Gordy Ainsley took his legendary steps up this mountain in 1974. We are back after a year off 2021, and we are so, so excited. We are joined by my co-host for the week, Corinne Malcolm. Corinne, say hello. Hi, everyone. Our first guest, of course, probably needs no introduction, Mr. Jeff Browning. We'll get to you in a minute. Before we get to it, just a few things to mention. We are supported this week, all week, by Hoka Oneone, the title sponsor of the Western States 100. We thank them for their support, for their initiative to get uh, the digital coverage going this year. We are so thankful. Also, Buff is a great supporter of our sport, of the race, and of our coverage this week. We are also supported here by the Coffee Bar, the great uh, local business here in the Tahoe area. So make sure you get refreshments and snacks from them. We will be broadcasting here again tomorrow, 9 to 11 a.m., same thing on Friday. And I think that is about it. Again, we want to thank our, our live audience here as well, a few of whom are going to be racing this weekend. On to the guest, on to the business. Corinne, why don't you kick us off? So. Jeff Browning, you're no stranger to Western States. You're going for your fifth top 10 in a row, right? Yes. Okay, so we had to take a step away last year. We all miss running. You did a big, like, like everyone had this year off in a lot of ways. You all just moved recently from Bozeman to Flagstaff. You're coming into your fifth Western States. Has anything changed? It's my sixth Western States. Your sixth Western States. It was my first 100 in 2002. Okay. And then I took a long hiatus. Yeah, like a 12-year hiatus. Yeah, and then got back in in 2016. Okay. Okay. So, but did anything in your prep this year with kind of a step back? I know that you've already raced 100 this year. You won Zion this spring. But in your preparation for this edition of Western States, given that we've kind of had a slow year racing, has anything changed in your buildup or thought process going into Western States this round? No. I mean, (laughs) I, I always like to run 100 before I race 100. So... I always run a spring hundred. And so I ran Zion 
um, that reminded my body like what it's like to go 100 miles after 16 month hiatus. Race this weekend. 41st. 41st hundred mile. Yep. You've won 22 of them. 22. So recollecting back to 2002 and, and how did, that race went sideways, how did that sort of launch you into the strategy? I didn't even know what I was doing. Yeah. Um, I ate way too much per hour and had GI stress and everything else that goes along with hundreds if you are a newbie. Um, I don't, man, it was a... I ended up getting under 24 hours. I, I ran like 23.38, if I recall. Um, and uh, so I was just under that cutoff. I think I left Forest Hill at eight o'clock in the evening and, and was able to rally um, to a sub 24. Um, but uh, I, I, did, I always thought I'd be one and done. And it was like kind of one of those things. It was three weeks before my first child was born. So my son, Ben, is turning 19 this summer. Um, and uh, my wife was three weeks from giving birth when I ran my first hundred and, and she expected me to be done with hundreds. And now here we are two decades <laughs> later, and 40 hundreds later and 150 plus ultras. I don't know, or something. I lost count at 150 years ago. Well, it's, it's amazing. And your, your history and longevity in the sport is something that we can, we can all learn from. So. Yeah, I guess that's kind of, I think a really great question. You yourself, you're 49. Yes. You're lining up, not to not to point that out, but you're. I turned fifty in August, so okay. I'm almost 50. almost fifty. So you are lining up though against guys who are twenty years your junior. Yep, could be my children. Could be your children. Your son is about to turn nineteen. What I mean, your longevity in the sport, your ability to do your racing hard rock in a couple of weeks, your ability to you know put in four or five hundreds in a year. What is your piece of advice? for all of us out in the audience, for the young guns, for the, the, the newer to ultras, like how do we replicate that? Listen to your body. Um, I know it really embrace strength training, embrace mobility uh, and nutrition. The, the, the three things that are outside of running <laughs> that actually train, I mean, if I look over the last, you know, five, six, seven years, I've run about the same amount of mileage every year. Um, I kind of know how to get ready for a hundred, so. You know, I kind of do the same thing every year. My training hasn't changed that much in the last six or seven years. Uh, it's mainly been nutrition, uh, strength, and mobility, and embracing that and prioritizing that. And I think that's probably the biggest piece, those three pieces of the puzzle. So, Jeff, you finished third, fourth, fifth, and ninth in the last four Western states. Are there any goals that you want to share with the audience? Anything that you have in the back of your head that well, you hope to I'd like achieve? to be in the top 10 again um, because I turned 50 this year, and so I would be 50 for next year's uh, Western States, and I really would love to have the 50-plus record. Yeah. Um, I, I, I could definitely... I figured that's what you were going to say, of yeah, course. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, I, w I would love to have the 40 to 49 record, but I have to say Mike Morton, yep. he definitely put it out there, and I got within 10 minutes of it in 2019, it's definitely been on my splits every year I've run this race yeah. uh, in the last four years. So, uh, and Mike reached out to me after 2019 and said, hey, I think you can get it. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm trying, man. Yeah. I just can't meet his splits through some sections. Yeah. So um, he definitely ran a really solid race that year. Um, and he was 41 and I'm 49. So I don't know. We'll see. Well, Jeff, you're uh, a symbol of uh, longevity, of durability. You're an icon in the sport. You're somebody that we can all learn from and aspire to be more like. I sure hope that in 15 more years, I'm still running like you are now. And uh, thank you for coming to join us here at Western States Live. We wish you nothing but the best. Everybody give Mr. Browning a round of applause. Thanks.
And we will be back in just a minute with Matt Daniels. Hey everybody, welcome back. We are joined by Matt Daniels. I am Dylan Bowman, joined by my co-host Corinne Malcolm. We are here at Olympic Valley ahead of the 2021 Western States 100. Matt Daniels from Monument, Colorado. This is your second running at the Western States 100. You were fourth back in 2019. That was your 100 mile debut. You ran 1521, I think. I don't know how I remember those things, but you ran 1521, a super, super fast time in your debut 100. We're now two years later. You had to skip it last year. Looking back on your 2019 performance, how do you feel about it? What do you think you could do better? And how are you looking forward to this weekend's race? Yeah, um, gosh, there's a lot to kind of take in. Having a year off uh, really uh, changed things um, in the plan. And so, you know, um, 20, or 2019 was all about just kind of getting a feel for what hundreds are like and um, just having the experience out here. And it just so happened I had a great day and uh, was able to finish fourth and, and run really fast. I think the weather obviously helped out with that. Um, this time around, it's more of like, let's, you know, really go after it and compete and, uh, you know, you get the full Western States experience with the, the 100 degree heat now. And um, I think the excitement's there, you know, we're all together after, after the year off and um, there's a lot of fast guys. So, yeah, it'll be more of just kind of uh, seeing what the day brings and um, just really, you know, going for it. <laughs> awesome. So speaking of 2019 being kind of an idealistic, cool year, I think we can all agree that, oh, it, was, sure. that it was perfect temps. <laughs> Obviously, we're setting up for a very, very hot race this Saturday. Knowing what you know about the race course, about your own personal, you know, strengths and weaknesses, you know, are like, how are you going into this weekend looking at those temperatures? Like, what are you going to bring to the day to try to mitigate the heat out there while you compete against these other guys? Yeah, I think a lot of it is patience. You know, that's something I've really struggled with uh, in, since getting into ultra running. Um, I think, you know, Jim has said it perfectly so many times that you, you kind of, take the day as like what, what the course brings you. Um, yeah, I think patience, but at the same time, Western States is one of those races where you have to be very aware and alert. Things happen so fast for a hundred miler. Um, you know, you can be passed and the next thing you know, somebody has 30 minutes on you. Um, so I think, yeah, practicing that patience, you know, early on in the canyons, really making sure I'm, you know, obviously staying, staying wet, um, jumping in the rivers when I can and the creeks when I can, and then um, staying on top of nutrition and hydration is gonna be huge for me. Uh, and then, you know, that's kind of what everybody deals with, but uh, mostly just, you know, kind of making sure I, uh, you know, be very, uh, yeah, very patient and just wait, wait until the moment's right to, to run fast. So, so, but how do you do that, right? I mean, you're somebody who has some of the most running, pure running talent in the field. You've run under four minutes in the mile. You've run so many distances of races leading up to your 100 mile debut in 2019. You just said you're here to compete. So how is it that you balance that, you know, putting yourself in contention, being competitive with the field while also not being overly aggressive? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think you know, it's gonna be a bigger surprise for me than any, you know, for anybody else. I think, uh, you know, I, I love to climb uh, like, you know, in races with that have mountain um, ascents and things like that. I love to really just hammer the climbs. And so it's gonna be really important to just slow down on the climbs this year and do maybe a little bit more hiking. And then when things flatten out and when I get those nice fast runnable downhills late in the day, run those more. That was another problem I had in 2019 was I ran the first half maybe a bit too hard. I was mm -hmm. climbing too hard and then I got to Forest Hill and 
you know, the fun flowy stuff that I should be able to just click off, you know, 630 miles on, I was running 930 pace. Yeah. And uh, I'd like to, you know, hopefully um, manage my pace a little bit better early on and then have a, a stronger finish. But again, it's um, going to depend on kind of what the rest of the field does too. You know, you don't want to let people get too far away. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> awesome. So I've been... I've been stalking your training. I've been stalking everyone's training. Strava is, you know, wonderful that we can just kind of keep tabs on what people are up to. And you have your training partner in the race with you this year. You've got Drew, the young Drew Holman um, is in the race as well. How is it going to feel to have that person out there who you, like, you know you can run with, that you're, I mean, we're hoping he has a good day as well. You know, what would that, what will that feel like out there? Yeah, Drew's great. Um, the cool thing about Drew Holman is he he's young in the sport of ultra running, but he runs like a veteran. And so I've learned just as much from Drew as he's maybe learned from me as he's gotten into ultra running. And um, when we talk about patience, that's one guy who has nailed it. I mean, he, I think maybe being able to share some early miles with him in the race and um, kind of keying off him and, you know, you know, we've done enough mileage together where we kind of understand, you know, how we're each feeling and that sort of thing. And so, uh, yeah, just making sure in the first few miles, you know, we're together, you know, we share the same coach too. So I'm sure our game plan will be very similar um, and just, yeah, feeling it out early and uh, hoping, you know, we can, we can have a good day. That's the tough thing about this sport is we're all so close and we're all you know, great friends. I'm, I'm really close to Hayden Hawks too. And his game plan may be totally different than what, what Drew's is. And I'm, I may want to go with Hayden, you know, so it's going to be a lot of just really feeling it out in the moment and trying to be smart. Awesome. Yeah. So, and I mean, it's another great point and, and sort of what you said earlier about being able to run the faster sections later in the race. You're somebody who, like I said, has run under four minutes for the mile. You've run probably every distance between a mile and a uh, hundred miles. And you posted on your Instagram that you couldn't wait to get back to Western States, that it was just one of the most special races, one of the most amazing sporting events in the world. What is it about Western States that uh, brought you back and what has you motivated so much this weekend? Yeah, absolutely. I've talked about this a lot with uh, many people and I think Western States has this uh, sense of family and the camaraderie here is like nothing else. You know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to run Olympic trials and NCAA championships and, and things like that. And just absolutely nothing compares to what this race offers and, and brings to you. And uh, yeah, from the moment I, I came out to my first training camp in 2019 uh, to go over the course, I just fell in love with all the people here and um, what this race was about. I love history and, um, you know, running on a trail that so many greats have run on in the past. Uh, that just, you know, holds a special place in the heart. And uh, once you're out here and you do it once, it, it's almost impossible to not want to keep coming back to it. Yeah. Amazing. So Matt, maybe if you could give us a, a little bit of a glimpse into your training, and this is something that I'm sure everybody is really curious to, to know about, again, as somebody who is so versatile and so fast, uh, and you know, you've run, your 100 mile debut was really successful, running 15-21 on this course. Maybe talk a little bit about what you and your coach have been working on, what you think has worked, and, and maybe some things that maybe you've, you've uh, tossed aside because it wasn't serving you. Yeah, I've always um, kind of stayed on top of this, the speed I have. I'm maybe not in sub four minute mile shape anymore these days, but I've always tried to keep that um, top end speed. I think it's important no matter what distance you run to be able to, to have that and have good efficiency and economy. Um, one thing though we've really worked on over the past year uh, has just been building that aerobic base and uh, that aerobic volume where I can kind of hold those faster speeds for longer periods of time and feel comfortable. Uh, a lot of a lot of work in the mountains where I'm just kind of getting the body used to just being, you know, beaten up with all the ups and downs and that sort of thing. When I first got into ultra running, I really struggled with like cramping and finishing races because of, you know, the time on feet. And um, that's something we've, we've really worked on a lot. So um, I think, you know, 
mileage isn't as high as some of these guys out here, but uh, I, you know, I, I have blocks where I feel really comfortable, where I'm you know, getting up over 100 miles a week, maybe 20,000 feet of vert, but then probably most of the time I'm kind of in that like 60 to 85 mile range. And then uh, you know, I live at 7,000 feet too, so that has to be taken into account, but yeah. That's an amazing lesson to hear that you run 60 to 85 miles a week. Obviously we all know there's some people in the race who run 120, 130, 140 miles a week. Is there any part of that that gets you intimidated or make you feel like you haven't done enough or you just trust the process? Yeah, I don't think so. Um, I, I trust the process and um, yeah, that's one thing I've learned I've, you know, from road running and that sort of thing is you can't really pay too much attention to what everybody else is doing. What works for you works for you. And um, I think for me to be able to have a long successful career, that's kind of where I need to be. Um, I'm not one of those that wants to just, you know, get on fire now and, and burn out quickly. I, I want to be able to be in the sport in 20 or 30 years like Jeff. I'm, I'm super inspired by him. And um, yeah, you know, I think uh, it works for me. So yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. So, so thinking about, you know, long, like wanting to have that long career and not wanting to kind of, you know, flame out in the next couple couple of years of just putting it all in for maybe Western States or something like that. What, where do you see yourself going as far as like, what are those bucket list races that you have coming down the pipeline or even the rest of the season beyond this weekend? What does that look like for you? Sure. Yeah. I think in the next few years, um, I'll probably start to limit the amount of racing I do in a year and focus more on a little longer blocks. Um, I, the past few years I've really kind of forced racing and I think that that hasn't <laughs> worked out in my favor too much. Uh, it's tough to do when you could you be it. could you be specific about that? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we shared some time at North Face. Yes, I think, we did. Uh, <laughs> that's we a good example. I said, you know, um, if, for example, last year or 2019, right after Western, I flew out to Europe and ran Sierras and all. Um, I was cooked. You know, I, I had yeah. no business being out there. And sure. You're chasing money at the pro level and things like that. And sure. um, you know, we're not all Jim Walmsley, so <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I learned that really quickly. Um, uh, it would have been nice to just take a little break and put in put in a good training block and maybe get ready for North Face that way. And instead, I was I was cooked going into that. So yeah, it brings lessons. up brings up something. You know, obviously, like we all admire your talent as an athlete, and I think one of the things that maybe you've struggled with is just like being consistent, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're sort of hot or cold, right? So, is that something that you guys have been working on? Just um, with you and your coach doing more moderate volume and focusing a little bit more on being a, maybe a little bit less aggressive in your racing style? hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, um, I think I, I'm race, I was racing and training and, uh, had it mentally in my head that I could do what I was doing as a, as a miler in college where every other weekend, you know, you go out or, you know, I was just scaling it back a little bit for ultra running and it, it doesn't work. You know, I think, uh, I'm the type of athlete that needs to, if I'm going to race, I need to really focus on that one race and give it some time to, to build up. Uh, I can do, more races, they just need to be more smaller, low-key races. I'm sure you see on Ultra Sign Up, I, I do a lot of that kind of local grassroots type running mm. when I can. I, I love those events. Uh, but in terms of on the big stage, yeah, I really need to limit uh, what I'm doing in a year. And that's something David and I have talked about a lot, uh, my coach, and um, we're really hoping to build forward for the next few years. Great. Yeah, so to me, that sounds like, you know, you're, you're talking about patience for Western states. Like, the, it sounds like the mantra going into the, the early stages, let's call it, like maybe, you know, the start to, to Robinson Flat or the start to Forest Hill, we're gonna, the mantra's patience. So, and that seems like it's a career mantra right now as well, but what is the mantra gonna be once you get to Forest Hill? Let's go. <laughs> let's, uh, I could say some other words, but let's go. You know, the, the plan is I wanna get to Forest Hill and, and feel like um, I'm ready to race rather than, oh, I wanna drop out. And uh, that's been the common theme in uh, some of my past races recently is uh, I get halfway through and I'm like, let's just go home, you know? And uh, I've been dealing with some health issues and stuff too. Uh, that's all under control now. Um, 
thankfully. And, and so I, I'm like, I'm really ready to just get to that point of the race and be ready to throw down. Yeah. Awesome. So you, you mentioned something that Jeff Browning mentioned right before you did, and that he said he likes to run 100 before he races 100. You said you like to do some more grassroots races to sort of knock the rust off, get yourself ready for your A goal at Western States. You just ran a 50K in Bend, mm -hmm. sort of a smaller local race, but you won. I think you set the course record there. Maybe just talk a little bit about how that race went, how it fit with your training, your confidence leading into the race? Sure, I, I love, I mean, I love the grassroots events. That's what got me into to trail running to begin with. Um, just the atmosphere is so different than road running and track. And um, they kind of put me at ease. So when I go to them, I, you know, it's almost like a, it's like a pep rally for the bigger, bigger events. I get to socialize with everybody and see a lot of the athletes I coach. And um, it's low key, there's no pressure and I enjoy that. And so, yeah, Smith Rock went well. Um, I was just off the course record. I think uh, Ryan Bach had that. I wasn't really chasing it. I didn't really realize he even had it until somebody mentioned it after the race. But um, yeah, it was a good uh, test run. It's been pretty cold in Colorado this summer. And so um, that was my first go in, uh, at a race in the heat. And uh, it was a nice wake up call. I realized I need to get in the sauna a little bit more and um, do some training in the middle of the day. And uh, yeah, I, I got um, checked all the boxes and everything I needed right before Western states as you say out here <laughs> well, well maybe to close you could just talk a little bit about the heat obviously we have some racers in the audience here it's something that is going to come up in any conversation about the western states 100 especially this year it looks like it's going to be one of the hotter ones in recent memory maybe talk uh, a little bit about your heat preparation your heat management strategy mm -hmm. during the race yeah there's been a, a a fine fine balance um between training for the heat and not overdoing it i think uh 2019 i mean luckily it was a cool year but uh training for it, I spent maybe a little bit too many times in the sauna and even passed out one time in the sauna. I was in there with Chris Mako and he got to talking and we, you know, you know how that goes, but <laughs> you know how that goes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, just trying to manage the stress levels and not, not overdoing it, but still making sure you get in, uh, you know, the right preparation and getting the body acclimated. Um, yeah, I haven't done too many things other than sauna and running in the middle of the day. Well, you should go get out of the sun now. Please give Matt Daniels a round of applause. Thank you for being here. We wish you nothing but the best on Saturday. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes with the Kiwi sensation, Ruth Croft. Okay, welcome back everybody. We are live from Olympic Valley at Western States Live. It is 2021. It is Wednesday before the Saturday running of the 100 mile race between Olympic Valley and Auburn, California. And we are joined now from the Kiwi Sensation all the way from New Zealand, Ruth Croft. Ruth, welcome to the US. You've been here a long time now. You went to school here in the US. What's it feel like to be back ahead of your first 100 mile race? Um, yeah, it's good to be back. I find coming back to the States always a bit of a trip. I don't know, everything's just so big here. <laughs> like, <laughs> but no, it's good to be here and pleased that I could make it over. Yeah, so speaking of that, Dylan just mentioned it's your first 100 mile race. Obviously you are crazy fast at many, many distances, but what does it feel like being here for Western States, making that jump up in distance? 
Um, it's exciting. I was saying to some other people this week, um, it reminds me of the first time I ever attempted like 50K. Like you just think it's so massive and daunting and then you just get out there and do it. And I kind of had that same feeling when I did 100K as well for the first time. So yeah, it's a good place to be. I haven't felt this way about a race for a long time because I've been doing that kind of same distance. So yeah, it's exciting. So why is it that you chose 100, or Western States to be your 100 mile debut? Um, because I think it's just the most logical sense to do as your first 100 miler instead of something like UTMB, which is super mountainous and you're out there for way more hours. So I've done Labrador, which was 120, and I think that was 15 hours. So I think going to Western States, it's kind of like the next step up. Yeah. So as Corinne just mentioned, you have tremendous range as an athlete. For the last couple of years, you've been focusing on sort of Golden Trail style races, sub-ultra style races. I remember after the Lavaredo race that you just mentioned, you were a little bit traumatized. You were a little put off by the longer races. Uh, and you've had a lot of success, you know, at 50K below and really every distance that you've ever tried in your career. So how does it or how, what was it like uh, sort of focusing on the shorter races and how do you think those may serve you uh, as you take a step forward to the 100 mile distance? Yeah, so I think the biggest lesson I got from Labrador was just I hate hiking. Um, so I kind of decided to drop back down a distance and just kind of do what I enjoyed. I think at that time I was getting super caught up in the hype. I think there's a lot of hype around 100 mile races. Um, so I just wanted to kind of focus on the shorter stuff and then when I was ready, step up to 100 miles. Yeah, it feels like a really, I feel like in the U.S. in particular, we, we really like the 100-mile distance. It seems like we kind of all gravitate towards it very quickly, but you just mentioned that your kind of background, at least I feel like in the international sense, trail and ultra is not synonymous in mm -hmm. a lot of ways. And yeah. so it's been, I think it allows athletes to develop their strengths. And so you said that you don't like hiking. <laughs> so going into this, we're looking at the escarpment, <laughs> right? What I'll is be your, hiking it. Okay, okay. So you're not you're not planning to be the first person at the top of the escarpment on Saturday. No, I definitely won't be. I've had a few people say don't be the first people, and then also Vajan Armstrong was like just hike out of all the canyons. That was my next advice. So I'll be listening to that. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. So any other sort of uh, good advice that you've received? I know you've been in the U.S. for a little while. You did the Western States training camp over Memorial Day. You spent some time with some past champions, some other people who've done really well and been successful on the course. Is there any other pieces of advice that have stuck out for you as you approach the race? Um, I was talking to Lucy actually and she said to have a good feed at Robinson Flat, don't rush through there. Um, and just pretty much what I always keep hearing is just be patient, which I think is going to be hard for me because I'm used to doing such shorter races <laughs> where you like, you can't lose contact with what's happening up front. Um, but for me, yeah, that would be my biggest thing going into it. Yeah, so say you're, you're, you seem like you're very excited, like there's all this kind of like nuance about taking a step up in distance. So besides, besides being patient, which I think will probably be the biggest hurdle for many people entering their first hundred, what else do you think, you know, is going to be really important to, to nail on Saturday? Uh, nutrition, probably. Yeah. So I think not going out too hard, which will also help with how nutrition will go. Yeah. So how do you manage that as somebody who is super competitive, super fast and, and great at the shorter distance races? Are you thinking about the competitive dynamic in the women's field and how will you manage to be patient? I'm not thinking what anyone else is doing. I think if I start doing that, I'm gonna mess up my whole race. Um, so it's just doing my own thing, not worrying what I'll, what's going on ahead of me or behind me. Um, so yeah, that will be my focus, just myself. So Ruth, you, won the Terrawera 100K outright this year. It's one of the 
biggest, most important early season races in the world in your home country of New Zealand. You won the race outright. I'm sure you sort of viewed it as a dress rehearsal for Western States. Talk a little bit about that race and how it fit into your preparation and how it went overall because it seemed to be a, a wildly successful event for you. Yeah, so I actually was focusing on the road. I started, I got back to New Zealand mid-December and I was doing road training from then. Um, and so Tarawera kind of was thrown in the middle of that and which worked out okay because Tarawera, as you know, is a pretty runnable course um, so I could get away with it. But I just used it as a dress rehearsal for my nutrition, um, which went well, just having a, eating some solid food and having that plan. Um, yeah, so I was pretty happy with how it went because it was the longest run I'd done in quite a while. But did you sort of set up your season intentionally like this to do road training to sort of lead into Tarawera, which, like you said, is a fast course, Tarawera being a 100-kilometer race, which will help you run well at a fast 100-mile course here at Western States. So maybe just talk a little bit about how you visualize a season and how you set things up strategically. So I think with COVID, we've learned that you, if you have the opportunity to race, you've got to race. And in January, I did not know that Western States was even going to go ahead. Right. So I didn't want to put all my eggs in the Western States basket and then be disappointed if it didn't happen and I didn't take the opportunity that I had to race and do a marathon at home. Um, so the plan was to focus on the road. And then if Western States happened, I think it's still a logical step from road to Western States. I think you can get away with it. But if it's something like UTMB, I don't think it would be so easy. Um, so the plan was solely to focus on the road. And then if Western States happened, then great. Um, none of that work would have gone to waste. Yeah. yeah. So uh, maybe talk a little bit about the road training. I think it's just something that is maybe underappreciated in our sport. Obviously, we all love spending time out in the mountains, out on the trails, but as we've seen with athletes like yourself, we saw Jim Walmsley train for the US Olympic trials. We just saw Grayson Murphy qualify for the finals in the steeplechase on the track. She's a world mountain running champion. Uh, maybe talk about how, yeah, focusing or being a little bit more versatile as an athlete, being able to run well on the roads has served you as a trail runner. Yeah, so I've done a few uh, marathons over the years and then in 2019 I did Seoul um, and it was before the trail season got underway and I just had I felt the strongest I've ever felt in 2019 after having that road base um, and so yeah I think for me also just mentally having a complete change of training structure um, I I love running on the road, <laughs> like probably a bit too much. But I just like that you can measure your training. It's a lot more measurable compared to the trail. Um, you can see if your paces are getting better and yeah, I just really enjoy it. And so for me, it's just something completely fresh and new. And then by the time that kind of training block is over, I'm ready to switch back over to the trail too. Yeah, so I think it definitely helps trail runners like just with your speed, it helps me with my climbing, um, yeah. I think it's a, a great lesson. Great yeah, I think we've seen that success translate for a lot of people with early seasons, shorter, faster races coming into a race like Western States. So when you knew, or like at least like, were pretty certain that Western States was going to go ahead, you're going to come to the States early, you've been training for a road marathon, you've been training on the road a lot. What, what if anything, changed in your training to go from that to final prep for Western States for taking that jump to the 100-mile distance? 
So pretty much everything kind of stayed in plan. I went over to Aussie to do, it was a trial set up for the Australians to qualify for the Olympics. So I went over and did that, which was mid-April um, and it didn't go well. Um, I was on pace and then just started dropping after the halfway point and I ended up pulling out at 32K. It was just one of those days it wasn't working. Um, and so I decided to call it early, then jog it in. I hadn't come there, like all my goals had slipped so I wasn't going to achieve anything by finishing the, the full distance. Um, so I called early and then I switched back over to trail. Um, I went a couple weeks after that, three weeks after I went over to UTA, Ultra Trail Australia and did the 50k and from there it was pretty much just getting longer runs in my leg. Yeah. So you just mentioned that you, you pulled out of a race but I think one of the things that we all really admire about you is that you're really consistent as an athlete. Obviously we all have our bad days sometimes but you've been so consistent across races and distances and different types of terrain. What do you consider to be sort of like your best distance? And do you feel like Western States is the type of course that is in Ruth Croft's wheelhouse? I can probably answer that after the race on Saturday. Um, I do like the 50 mile distance. Um, that's probably, yeah, what I prefer the most. But Western States, I don't know. It's just, it's such an unknown for me right now. Um, and I was quite surprised at how much, I know it's a net downhill, but it seems like a lot of downhill. Um, it's a lot of downhill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, to be honest, I, we'll see how it goes on Saturday. Yeah. So you've been in the US now for how long? A couple of months? Um, I think it's five, coming up six weeks. Five, six weeks. So how's the, the training been specifically for Western States and what have you done while you've been in the States? Yeah, so we arrived the week before Memorial Weekend and we're, we were in Auburn for a week um, and then I did two of the three days of the Memorial Weekend run. Um, then we've been based up in Tahoe Vista. And so, yeah, just getting on the course a bit, but not too much, and then running around here, um, and then getting down to Auburn for a bit of the heat, uh, but not really overdoing it. I feel like I'm in a good place. Terrific. Anything else, Corinne? Yeah, I guess I've got one last leading question yeah. for you. So I've always known you as a Scott athlete. You made a big change this year to a whole new gang of humans. What's it been like kind of coming into a different squad, and how has that support been coming into a race like Western States? Yeah, it's been awesome actually, the support. Um, and yeah, as you know, we've been at, got an Adidas house this week and it's just been good to have a team atmosphere, um, especially as I was saying, like I travel quite a bit of the year and so it's good to have that base um, and get to know everyone than just like fly in, race and then leave. Yeah, so it's been good. Well, Ruth, I think I speak for definitely Corinne and I, and I think a lot of the ultra fans worldwide in that we are very excited to see you specifically race here at Western States. Thanks for coming to the U.S. Thanks for being part of it. Uh, we wish you nothing but the best, and uh, we'll be cheering for you on Saturday. Big round of Thanks, applause guys. for Ruth Croft. We are back with Mammoth Lakes own the Eastern Sierra Samurai. That's my new nickname for you. Mr. Tim Tollefson, the best hair in ultra running. Tim, welcome to the Western States 100. This is your first running. Is this your first interview, man? Uh, no, no we Brian Powell just uh, uh, swiped you for that. Right. Of course, Iron Far beat us to it. That's all right. They're an institution in the sport. I'm glad that uh, they, they captured you first, got you warmed up for us here for, for your interview. 
Tim, this is your first Western States 100. I guess just generally, how are you feeling ahead of uh, one of the, the biggest races of your career in the first 100, or no, second 100 miler on US soil, I guess? Yeah, uh, I'm psyched. I, I'm really excited and grateful to be here. And I think just for a number of reasons, but especially coming off of the pandemic, not off, I mean, we're, we're still in the midst of it, but coming to a point where we are able to have some of these things come back online, it's just, I mean, I'm very thankful for the opportunity. So I might call you America's UTMB darling. I think that's fair. Okay, so I feel like I that has argue. been, yeah, I mean, you've got your UTMB <laughs> bracelets on currently. I know that has been a focus for you. I know that has been maybe the white whale a little bit. What has training, what has the mindset looked like shifting to, I mean, there's a lot of things going on here. It's 100 mile, very different than UTMB. It's coming home for you. This is a course near and dear to your heart. What has training this spring and some early summer looked like for you as opposed to, you know, maybe a more traditional race year with big mountains in the picture? It's a lot different for a variety of reasons, for sure. Um, as I definitely have been chasing that UTMB dragon for years, and it's eluded me. And you, Lindsay's actually pretty psyched. She's cutting these off on Friday. I actually gave her approval, so we're going to be... It's like a symbolic... Yeah, I, I, I'm done off. with that for now, and I have to move on and, and focus on something else. And uh, Saturday, there's definitely a new focus. But I, I have really been enjoying this cycle, because something that drives me as an ultra runner, or a runner in general, is curiosity and enjoyment and I was kind of at the end of my rope and burning out in terms of just repeating the same thing year after year and kind of feeling like I was hitting my head against the wall and and that actually was the impetus for me leaving the roads from the marathon scene to the ultra scene is I felt like I was just kind of getting the same result, putting up the same efforts and uh, I need something new and, and States is new. Uh, it's, it's definitely something excite that excites me and, and sometimes that curiosity drives me to, you know, my best performances. So, but uh, really I, I'm just, I, I loved what Ruth was saying regarding just like, you know, she loves running on the road. I love running on the roads. Uh, my wife and I always do. And, um, and something that I, really do not like is hiking. So like, <laughs> I, I, it's my worst aspect of any mountain race I've done overseas. And so I'm thankful that I get to hike out of the valley here on Saturday morning, then a couple big climbs. But other than that, I'm going to run. So that'll be fun. Well, it brings up a good point. Obviously, everybody here will know that you've been on the podium at UTMB twice. You've been on the podium at CCC. But I think it's interesting for us to all think about how we train specifically for these races. You obviously have had a lot of success in the mountain races. You say you love to run the roads as well. But maybe display or exhibit or uh, d describe the, the contrast between the training for something like UTMB versus Western States. Yeah, I think, I mean, I am a believer that fitness is fitness and it's going to kind of apply to all different disciplines. Um, so kind of even with UTMB, I, I'm doing some faster paced workouts just to try and elevate kind of that, that fitness side of um, my my prep. And but for for UT or for states, you know, a lot more specific, um, gradual climbs versus the real gut punching, you know, 3000 foot, th three mile, almost VK climbs that you get in Europe, uh, where I think a lot of our 
trails here in the states are i mean they're they're mule grade you know they're they're designed just to slowly grind you down um and i have a lot of that in the eastern sierra where i live so a lot of the prep has just kind of been doing my usual stuff and uh it, i have i'm no stranger to the dry dusty trails of the east side so it's gonna uh, feel it, what's kind of cool is as, as you mentioned uh, it's a coming home of sorts I'm, I'm running back towards auburn where i grew up just minutes away from and um but now i live on the on the east side of the sierra and so i get to experience first 50k or so kind of in my current home and then uh just run towards kind of the, the historic home can you be a little bit more specific about your training when you look at what you do for UTMB, are you doing a lot more vertical than you did for your training block before Western States? Were you doing more downhill work for Western States? Maybe uh, some more specifics into, into your training if you can. For UTMB, I, I definitely was more vert oriented, trying to just log big slow climbs and uh, and inch my way up where i could tolerate more and more volume of vert uh, so states has been much more of kind of runnable long runs i don't think i've hiked really at all um, in my training and with the exception of maybe one day so you know it's 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 definitely runnable terrain and and trying to get a little of that turnover you know but i i also am a believer i think i've told you average speed wins races like <laughs> i don't i don't got to be first up devil's thumb or you know definitely not up the escarpment quick but i i think you know if 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 I play my cards right, or if anybody does, and, and that goes for people at the front of the pack or the back of the pack, I think if States is a course where if you learn to run the course and don't fight it, you can really have the legs to bring it home. But too, many, too often people do try to like run against the course. So this is one, don't, don't fight the grain. So, so speaking of tactics and speaking of your dislike of hiking, um, there's a lot of downhill in this course, which I know, I know you like, I know that you're particularly good at. How are you gonna use that or how are you gonna think about that as an advantage on Saturday? I love downhill, it's so <laughs> nice. I, I view downhill as like, uh, a course giving you something back. You know, you're just riding the wave, you're, you're taking the gravity, it's kind of, you know, it's like big mountain skiing or, or surfing. You learn to kind of ride that fall line and like it's gonna work in your favor. Um, so I, I I guess, you know, as someone that has done a lot of downhill running in my preparatory, like, you know, cycles for any race, it's, it's, it just kind of comes natural. But um, I, I think it's, it's something that I'm just looking forward to. Like, I don't know, it's, it's gonna be awesome until it's not, because it's not gonna be awesome at some point, but <laughs> hopefully then I can find something deep within to keep moving forward, because, you know, get to that next tree, get to the next aid station, and, and know that, you know, I, I, I'm grateful to have the opportunity and I don't wanna waste it. So Tim, last October you ran and won the Havelina 100 mile race, but admittedly it wasn't a perfect race for you. I know you weren't super happy with your pacing, with your strategy. So maybe look back at that. Even though you won the race, there were some takeaways for you that you know that you can improve, that you can bring towards Western States. What are some of those things? The, the biggest thing that I took away from Havelina probably um, initially was just that, hey, the heat's not that bad. Like if, if you get into a mindset of knowing that, you know, obviously you have to do some of the physical preparatory work for it and, and expose yourself and, and try and maybe do some heat acclimatization. But I, a lot of the heat management is mindset. And, and so that was a good opportunity to practice it. And then also it was the first runnable hundred that I didn't have to have a pack. I didn't have required gear. <laughs> I wasn't holding wizard sticks or yes. hiking up like my grand Coferay. So all of these things that I, I don't necessarily enjoy uh, I felt light and just able to run um, so I, I took 
you know, it's kind of comfort knowing that, hey, in like states, I don't have to carry anything other than a couple handhelds. And, and I mean, for Javelina, probably the, the hardest thing was we were coming off of one of the worst fire seasons on California's record. And I did eight weeks of training on a treadmill, like yeah. where I barely stepped foot on dirt. And it kind of just proved me that, hey, again, fitness is fitness. If you're on a treadmill, if you're running like on a dirt loop around your backyard, or if you're, you know, on a track all the time, you can prepare for races. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of it, you know, it is like whether or not you choose to embrace it. And, and go in with a, a mindset of knowing that, hey, I, I'm able to accomplish much more than this, what the central governor is going to try and tell you. But on the on the pacing thing specifically, because I know you, you posted about it afterwards. Oh, yeah. I keep not you, answering your questions. Well, well, where you broke it down, you said like, you know, the first 20 miles, the second 20 miles, and yeah. then the, you know, the, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the last 40 miles was significantly slower. And, and basically yeah. it was your uh, public sharing and uh, of your own learning experience of yeah. how to not really pace a hundred mile race. Thank so you. How did that go? <laughs> so yeah, that's Please a answer the question. So I really love football and like, I'm looking forward to college game day coming up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, <laughs> no, I, uh, I did, you know, I think what I found there was I took a bit of a chance, like I got out more aggressive than I typically do, and, and it was a reminder of once you've kind of crossed over that line, there's no amount of will that you can have if your body starts to revolt that, you know, it's, it's gonna kind of come back to bite you. And, and I experienced that at Javelina where it was a nice reminder of, hey, you know, really run within yourself and don't get greedy early on. There's a lot of real estate to make up in the later stages if you can still run efficiently. Um, and then also it was sort of a, a testament to like, I only had basically a six week treadmill block and I came out of that pretty well. So with more prep, I, I, I drew a lot of confidence that, hey, if I have more of a training block behind me, then maybe I could take a chance and, and last longer. But it, it definitely was like, you know, holding on a bit more towards the end because I got out aggressive. And, and I think that's that, you know, you start learning emotional control. And if you can display that in any event, you know, mm -hmm. from the steeplechase on up to a hundred miler, it's uh, you're, you're in for a much more enjoyable finish, I would say, because it's always going to hurt. But I think it's, it's nice when you feel like you aren't just grasping for anything to continue your forward momentum versus um, coming home strong and knowing that, hey, like I, I ended that on like my own terms. Yeah. So speaking of that pacing question, I think a lot of people divide Western states into kind of three distinct sections. We've got kind of the high country, kind of near and dear to your, to your heart where your home is right now. You kind of got the canyons and then you kind of have like the river plus, you know, getting home. So how are you going to look, you know, at that, you know, those three distinct sections come Saturday? I think I'm going to go out hard, go a little harder in the middle. Yes. And then go even harder at the finish. Excellent. Just, just bury myself. Perfect. Yeah, I kind of back to what I said at the beginning. I think states is a course where if you learn to run with it versus against it, it can give you a lot back in return. So the high country in the early miles, like I'm going to play it cool. You know, I'm going to stay within my own head, run what's necessary for myself. And, and that's something I've learned through experiences at UTMB where I've, I don't like hiking, but I've hiked in the first couple miles of UTMB and like seemingly hundreds of people have passed me. And then at some point I ended up, you know, 
a little further ahead of them by the end. And um, so I think that that's something that I'll, I'll kind of take. And then the canyons is really about heat management, like being within yourself and, and kind of goes back to what Ruth was saying, which I really appreciated. And I think it sets her up for a, a good performance of she's going to run within herself and not worry about all the, the chaos that might be going on around her. Um, and so that's what I'll try to employ. And then, you know, if I play my cards right, hopefully Rocky Chucky on, uh, I have some legs that I can start turning it over. It's sort of what Matt, Matt Daniel said uh, a little while ago as well, and that being able to run the last section is so important. Otherwise, people who are, who still do have the legs behind you are, are really catching up. But, you know, I want to sort of press you on this because you say it, you're going to go easy at the beginning, right? But, you know, Tim Tollefson, you're a contender to win this race. And as we've seen in championship level races like this, in the way that Jim Walmsley has run, in the way Pau Capel won UTMB, in the way Francois won UTMB, that you do have to be aggressive, that you do have to be a risk taker. How do you think about taking risks this weekend? That's, that's, that's a big one. Um, I, you know, I, I'm pretty risk adverse in a lot of domains in my life, but when I, when I can sense like in a situation that it's ripe for the picking, I'll take more risk. And so it's kind of a matter of how it unfolds on the day, but I, in running, I'm not afraid to take risk, but I, I calculate when I'm going to take it, it, I guess. And, um, and I, I think what makes it exciting is you do have those guys that start hot and sometimes it requires that. Um, and, uh, I, you know, sometimes at some point I might pull a wild card and just kind of, you know, take it out. But I, I don't think a course like this on my first attempt is the time to do that. Um, but I guess we'll see how it unfolds. <laughs> I think that's a great strategy. So you mentioned the heat in Havelina and that it wasn't that bad. But I do know that, you know, we haven't had the hottest of, of springs here. You live pretty high up. It's also not super hot there. What, and I know from listening to Dylan's podcast um, that you, for most people, you know, they're jumping in the sauna, but that wasn't available to you. Can you explain to our listening audience what you ended up doing for your heat acclimation coming into Western states? Because it's a little bit different than what most people probably took on in their prep. So I'm fortunate that uh, a good, good friend, uh, Roxy over at Goo Energy Labs, she um, helped devise my plan for both Havelina and this, and we utilized hot bath soaks. So periodic or, you know, strategically, I would go for runs or workouts, maybe with, or often with layers to get, elevate my core temperature. And then immediately following, I would hop in a, my tub and soak like, basically neck deep for anywhere 20 to 40 minutes. And surprisingly, it was, it was challenging. It, uh, it's, uh, you, you definitely get the, the sweat response going. So, so we utilize that. And then also um, we're fortunate in Mammoth that Bishop is only 15, 20 minutes away. You drop down to 4,000 feet and it's been triple digits for the last couple of weeks down there. So it's a nice training ground where honestly, I think the east side of the Sierra, you can train for any race in the world. Um, and so we're for, fortunate for that. And, and then there are sometimes I kind of joke, but maybe it helps. Like I'd finish my run and I hop in my car. And if you just sit in the car with the doors closed yes. or like find a porta potty, it's, it is hot. Like, so I think like you can immediately like create your own sauna. Oh, yeah. So like it's the poor man's sauna. That's the kind of stuff you only learn here. You heat train by sitting in a porta potty. Tim Tollefson, you, uh, like we said, you grew up in the, the Auburn area. Uh, maybe in closing, just tell us, uh, are you going to have a lot of friends and family come out to support you this weekend? And what it's, what's it going to feel like to race on your home trails? 
Yeah, I, um, from the age 10 on, I, I was up in, or I was in Rockland, which is just minutes from Auburn. And uh, it's gonna be great because a lot of friends, family and loved ones that have never been able to see me race in person um, will be able to be out there. And um, so it'll be a neat way to experience and, and kind of give back to them in, in like sharing this with them. And um, I mean, from No Hands Bridge, and or Norhans Bridge to Greengate and back and along kind of the the um, the trails there. Like I've I've run thousands of miles, so it's hopefully I'm still somewhat cognizant when I hit that point on Saturday evening, and so I can appreciate and enjoy it. Just knowing how I've been on those trails for over 20 years, and so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it'll it'll be pretty special. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you practice that emotional control and then take big risks and put on a great show for us who will be glued to the live stream all day. Big round of applause for Mr. Tim Tollefson. Good luck on Saturday. We'll be back shortly with Beth Pascal. Okay, welcome back. We are here with the pride of Great Britain, Beth Pascal, the returning fourth place women's finisher from 2019. Beth, welcome back to Olympic Valley. How are you feeling ahead of your second running of the Western States 100? I'm feeling good, thanks. Yeah, it's great to be here. Uh, yeah, I'm super excited for the weekend. Good. So I got to watch you run canyons in April. I was there and it was incredible. You ran really, really well. And I know that I, it sounds like, you know, it's just kind of an average day out on the trails, like not a big deal. But we were all blown away with your performance. So you've been in the States since at least April, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what has your training looked like this year leading up to Western States as opposed to 2019? Has that changed much since you've been stateside this whole time? Um, up until Canyons, it probably Mm, it wasn't that different. In fact, I, I ran canyons, but I only found out a couple of weeks before that I could get out here. So my backup race was actually a track 100K. So up until canyons, I was running, training simultaneously for a track, track race. So I was doing laps of a football pitch because none of the tracks were open at home. Um, but yeah, so then I found out I could get out here, um, went on a Salomon training camp in the Canaries. Right, yeah. So got all the vert done I needed in one week. <laughs> um, and yeah, since Canyons, I've been up in, well, spent most of the time up in Flagstaff. And yeah, training's looked a little bit different to normal, I guess. Um, I haven't done any intensity. Well, I've done some, some moderate running, but no intensity purely because being altitude for me is difficult <laughs> and I don't cope that well with it. So yeah, there's been a lot of um, specific training, but hopefully most of the speed work and stuff I'd got done earlier in the year. So you've been in Flagstaff for a while now. Of course, Flagstaff is, is well known as a mecca for endurance sport, especially running, trail running now as well with the Coconino Cowboy contingent there. Uh, were you able to connect with the community at all and maybe give us a glimpse into um, what it was like to train in Flagstaff where people have had so much success training there and coming to Western States? Yeah, it was it was awesome. I mean, back at home, I do 95% of my training on my own. Mm -hmm. Not not because 
I don't have any friends, but <laughs> it's it's more that I don't know. I'm working and stuff, and I don't live in a town. So to find someone who wants to run vaguely at the same time, vaguely the same distance, at vaguely the same pace, just doesn't happen. So it was really cool to be in Flagstaff and training with other girls. And yeah, we were all you know training for different things, but we managed to hook up quite a lot to get some long runs in, and that was really really nice. So Corinne just mentioned that you had a phenomenal race at the Canyons, 100K. Uh, how did you recover after that? Maybe give us a glimpse into the recovery after canyons and then sort of how does that impact how you approach such a big race like Western States, given the fact that you had such a big effort at canyons? Yeah, well, as I alluded to before, I, recovery was slow. Yeah, because of the altitude. <laughs> I, th I think so, yeah. yeah. I mean, previously I've always gone up to altitude, you know, a few weeks before a race, mm -hmm. but I've never gone up to altitude whilst being tired. Mm -hmm. um, so whilst I was expecting to feel good again after a couple of weeks and be able to jump back into training, it took a bit longer. So um, yeah, I, it took probably about four weeks until I started to feel good and was able to put in some, some training runs where I actually felt like I was myself. Mm -hmm. I mean, it wasn't terrible before then, but yeah, it took, took a while and I just had to take a step back and accept that you know, I wasn't going to be able to do exactly what I wanted to do, which was which was hard at the time because you're in. I, mean, I was in Flagstaff. You know, <laughs> it's difficult all you to do is run. all you want to do is run. Yeah, but I'm glad now that I listened to my body and took a bit more time and and yeah, I was able to put in a few good weeks of training up there in the end. Great. So I guess I'm really curious. I mean, we've all dealt with so many different things during the pandemic year, but I and I know that you've been over here for a while, so it's a little bit different than being home, but. What was it like for you training during, and you also work in healthcare. So you work in healthcare, there's a global pandemic, lockdowns are happening all over the place. What did that look like for you in this, in this very different year from typical for most of us? I guess like most countries, we were cycling in and out of lockdown. <laughs> so there were periods that would look, the training would look, you know, I was able to do exactly what I wanted to do. And there were times where we were, we were never like fully locked down. So we could always leave the house to exercise, but we would only be able to, you wouldn't be able to drive to exercise. So you would have to do everything from your house. And I don't live anywhere with mountains. So there were times where I was just trying to get vert in by doing like laps of my local woods up and down a hundred meter hill. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, as Tim was saying, like fitness is fitness. It doesn't matter how you get it. And, and, you know, we had a year is a long time and it didn't really matter that I couldn't do, you know, in the grand scheme of things that not being able to train on specific terrain all the time wasn't a big deal. Um, and I still came out of the year fitter than at the start, I would say. So as I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, you are the returning fourth place finisher, but after your performance at the Canyons 100K, I think a lot of people have started to talk about you as if you're a contender this weekend, which I don't think was necessarily the case in, in 2019. So at the risk of asking you a question that might embarrass you a little bit, like how does it feel to sort of come back to Western States a little bit more under the microscope with more expectations on you this year? I still think it's the pressure I put on myself is more than what I feel externally, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, it's cool that people are putting me a, a, in a bit more of a spotlight, but I think for me, yeah, I, it's more because I've put so much more into it this year myself. Like I've taken time off work and been out here for a while. So I, it's more pressure I feel on myself that is a bigger influence, I think. Um, 
But yeah, it's, it's, and certainly, but people talking about you doing well and things gives you more confidence as well. So I see it generally as a positive thing. Yeah. That's interesting that it's not this like negative of being like in the spotlight. Um, coming into Western States Week, we've been talking to a lot of athletes today, obviously about, you know, kind of what, what they're expecting to happen on course. Some athletes who've never run the race, like Ruth and Tim, and athletes that have run the race before, like Matt Daniels and Jeff Browning, obviously. Having that experience in 2019, what are you taking forward this weekend from as far as like strategy and tactics approaching the, you know, the, the different sections of the race? Yeah, I mean, even though I've run the race, this year's going to be different because it's going to be a lot, what, 10, 10 degrees hotter or something? Yeah. So I think 10 it's... 10 degrees Celsius hotter. Well, I guess Fahrenheit. We were probably I, I, 85 I, I, last year, or 2019. Yeah. Last time was cool. Yeah. This time is not going to be cool. So it's going to be a different race. I, I mean, if it was going to be cool again, I would race a lot more aggressively than I did last time round. Um, certainly last time, I was. it was quite a conservative effort. I just wanted to make top 10 and didn't want to completely explode. Um, so... I mean, I'd say I yeah, want to run a little bit more aggressively, but at the same time, bear in mind the conditions. And I think there's potential for a lot more to go wrong up front um, than in 2019. I think, I, I mean, 2019, pretty much nothing really went wrong up front. Like everyone, except Courtney with her injury, no one dropped out or completely blew up. Um, so yeah, I think there's more things are going to go wrong for people this year, which is... Um, it will make the race super interesting for sure. Um, so yeah, I think I'll, I will run a little bit more aggressively, take a little bit more risk, but also bear in mind the conditions that are going to be a lot slower at the back end of the course. Yeah, I would expect something very similar, especially after a year off, people with a lot of competitive energy in the field on a much hotter day. I don't think it's going to go smoothly for everybody out there like it did in 2019. But it also brings up something um, that, you know, we all sort of uh, noticed in your race at uh, the Canyons 100K and that you sort of led from the beginning. And when I talked to you after the race, you said that's very atypical for you, that you usually race with a much more conservative approach. But at a race like Western States, when you are a contender to win the race, at some point you do have to sort of assert yourself in the race competitively and take a risk and be a little bit more aggressive. Is that just something that you have to kind of feel out in real time or is there a particular part of the course that you think really suits your strengths or how are you thinking about that aspect? Um, I, it's difficult. I think certainly I'll move quicker earlier on this year. It will be quicker anyway because we don't have snow. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I'm not going to be looking at my watch or anything, but ideally I would get to Forest Hill quicker than I did last time round. Because you were so and conservative, as you said, in 2019. Yeah, and probably then thereafter I'll be slower because uh -huh. of the heat. Yep. Um, but yeah, I think I'm not going to take crazy risks, but I'm certainly not going to finish feeling like I had more running left in my legs. Yep. That's the goal. Yeah. Good strategy. Yeah. Very, very smart. <laughs> Having run in both a hot year and a cool year, I think that you're, you're on the right track there. Um, so I'm really curious. I, I believe, at least in recent years, you have pulled off the most successful Western States UTMB double of a, of a fourth at, uh, for women, a fourth at Western States and a fifth at UTMB, correct? Yes. Are you planning to go back to UTMB and pull that same double this year? Yes. Awesome. <laughs> I, just, I haven't seen it successfully done very often. It seems like someone implodes on one race or the other. And so I was blown away personally. 
watching that come together in 2019. But I mean, if I could have, if one of them could go really well, I would take that. It's not all about the double for me. Yeah. <laughs> if I could win one and DNF the other, that, that would be fine. <laughs> Do you feel after a year off a little bit more energy? I mean, is there anything from the year off that, that you learned or that you worked on that you think will help you at this year's edition of the Western States 100 and, and maybe looking forward towards UTMB? I wouldn't say I'm, I've got more energy or I'm fresher. I actually trained pretty hard last mm. year. Um, when I was speaking to you in April, I mentioned that I had an injury at the back end of last right. year and had a lot of time on the bike. Um, so and your ankle? My ankle, yeah. Um, and after that, my fitness seemed to take a big jump, which I can't really explain. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't think I've got more energy. Did I learn anything? I mean, everyone says, oh, if you race less, you feel better. <laughs> but no. No. I still keep <laughs> racing. We've got um, time to make up, haven't we? We've missed races, so we've got we've to catch up. Yeah. <laughs> As somebody from Great Britain, obviously it's not known for its hot, arid, dry weather conditions. Is there anything specific that you've done to prepare for the conditions this weekend, aside from just running in Flagstaff, Arizona, which has similar heat and, and dry uh, environment there? Is there any strategies that you plan to employ based on the fact that it's going to be so much hotter than your last race here? In terms of preparation, I haven't actually done anything beyond just running no no <laughs> saunas no no i think no think porta potty sessions like no no i next next year next i'll year, make note of that year. um yeah i think it's difficult because when you're training hard like running in the heat and doing all these extra things it takes a lot out of you mm -hmm. and you have to be especially when i was feeling suboptimal in flag stuff mm -hmm. i think if i really hit the heat training really hard it might have just been a bit too much um, so no, I mean, I was running in the Grand Canyon a fair bit and <laughs> that's hot. Um, and since, since, uh, well, after running in the Canyon a few times, like running here, nothing has felt that hot. Really? Yeah. Well, I think it was maybe when in the, I think it was the year that Courtney won, she had told me after the fact that she had tried to sauna and she made it through one sauna session and said that I'm, no, I'm done. It's not for me. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I, you know, it's, it's, everyone's going to prep differently for this race. So maybe it's not been, you've been running in the heat, you've been running in the Canyon and the Canyon is hot. What about on the race course this time around? Are you going to, you know, is there any strategies you're going to utilize for mid-race cooling that you think that maybe you didn't take advantage of in 2019 because it wasn't as hot? Anything you're thinking about going into the race to try to utilize out on course? Um, I mean, I had all the strategies in place last time. Yeah. Like I had, you know, your ice bandanas and arm warmers filled with ice and, um, you know, um, crew with pouring sponges over you and everything. But actually, I didn't feel like I needed it <laughs> that much. And I never at any point felt that hot. So this year, I'll have all, all the normal things. I haven't got any <laughs> crazy inventions that no one's ever thought of. All the normal things, and I'll just use them this time. Yeah, it's funny too. I mean, I remember Rob Carr saying that he doesn't do heat training. He does heat management during the race. And uh, so if, if it works for Carr and it works for Courtney DeWalter, it could probably work for all of us. And we don't have to sit in porta potties like uh, Tim Tolson. <laughs> but uh, Beth, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we're really looking forward to seeing how 
uh, your experience on this course and how you've sort of developed in, as an athlete and staying here in the U.S. and preparing specifically for this race, how that serves you this weekend. We wish you nothing but the best and good luck out there. Cool. Thank you Big very much. Big round of applause Beth. for Beth Pascal. Thank you. Okay, we are back. Last but not least, Mr. Jared Hazen from Flagstaff, Arizona. Jared, you are the returning second place finisher, the second fastest man ever on the Western States 100 course. I guess, first of all, how did it feel to run the second fastest time ever and not win the damn race? I guess I have mixed feelings about it, obviously. Um, but back in 2019, I was actually very happy um, with the race because it had been four years since I had previously raced. So I raced in 2015, and I was third. And uh, I certainly knew I could run faster than than I did uh, that year. But yeah, it was. I mean, it was almost surreal to to see that that kind of time on the clock as I as I kind of came into the track in Auburn. Um, but yeah, this year hoping to improve again and uh, nudge up a spot on the podium. So give us a glimpse into the psychology though of that race itself. I mean, you were running an absolutely phenomenal race and your good friend, training partner, Jim Walmsley, two-time champion course record holder is out in front of you. How are you thinking about that strategically? Cause obviously you want to win, but in order for you to win, he's sort of got to fall apart. Uh, were you just focused on yourself that day and, um, you know, what do you think contributed to you being able to run so freaking fast that day? Yeah, I I was very focused on myself. Um, and so I kept on coming into these eight stations and Jim was eight to 10 minutes ahead and I, I kept hearing that same split. And so I was like, okay, well, we're running the same pace for a very long time. And uh, I just knew that anything could happen in, in the last, you know, 20 miles of the race. And so... I just did my best to, to keep on it and keep on it. And uh, it became apparent to me uh, probably around mile 85 that I was no longer really catching him or maintaining uh, and that I was starting to fall back. And so I, I kind of, that picture started to kind of materialize that I probably wasn't going to beat him that day um, unless a, a blow up was, uh, was coming. But obviously training with Jim and living with Jim, I, I didn't, think that was likely yeah. so yeah but I was um I was pleased to just kind of keep keep the hammer down uh all the way home and and post a good time amazing so we were talking to Jeff Browning earlier and he's you know he's 49 this is his sixth appearance at Western States you're only 26 mm -hmm. okay you're one of those guys I mentioned earlier that he's gonna be lining up against who are who are 20 years his junior or more this is your fourth appearance at Western States right that's, so to me, I'm like, I'm watching this like steady, you know, I mean, steady drastic improvement over those, over those three appearances. To be frank, coming into this race, like, you know, what, like, what is the, the goal? Like, is it, is there a time? Is it a, is it a place? Is it just bumping that one spot up on the podium? What does that look like for you coming into Saturday? To, uh, this year, it's, it's about winning. Um, and I know that it's looking like temperatures are going to be, are going to be hot this year. So um, I'm not going to pay too much attention to the time. And uh, obviously Jim is back. He's two-time returning champ. So I have to dethrone him if I, if I want to win. 
um, and a whole slew of other talented guys. And uh, I thought about that a lot at the beginning of the year when I started making plans for the year. And I was like, well, how I, I had a great build up last year. I had a great race. I was like, how am I going to be better? Um, and so I charted a very long kind of training process through the end of February all the way through now to the end of June. And uh, just tried to be consistent, tried to tried to not uh, get over my head, take it, I was taking it one month at a time and kind of broke it up into month-long blocks. And um, I ended up getting towards the middle of May and kind of finishing my third little mini training block, four-week block, and was feeling like, man, I honestly think I could race maybe right now. And I was like, you know, but I've got, I've still got a whole nother little block to do. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, I'll take what I can get in the next four weeks. Like I, I have a plan. Um, I'll go see what happens. But I, I just, just felt like I had a lot of options and, uh, at, that, at that point uh, in my training. And I kind of doubled down, did the hard things that I wanted to do that I thought would prepare me for the race. And yeah, just felt like I accomplished everything that I wanted to and, and needed to accomplish for the race. That's, that's amazing. So can you give us a, a little bit of a glimpse into your training? You're one of the few people who's not super public about what you're doing. You're pretty private about uh, the workouts and the, the volume that you do. But for those of us in the circles, we know that Jared Hazen is a high volume runner. You're uh, the type of person who works very hard and you push yourself to the limit. You've hurt yourself a couple of times doing that. Can you just uh, paint the picture a little bit, whatever you're willing to share of what sort of uh, risks you were taking in training or, or just how much you're pushing yourself? Because I think you just described it so well that you know, you, you had this super long plan from February onwards and you got to May and you felt like, okay, I, I'm ready to go now. So what did that look like for those three, four months? Yeah, so you, you, I've actually uh, gotten back on Strava. So if you're very curious to dig into the details, oh, um, I started, I, I, I just, I was thinking about Western States and I was like, you know, like, I don't know, why not? Just maybe people are curious to oh. see what, what, what uh, it looks like actually. And so... Um, yeah, I started January 1st, started uh, logging runs. i pull this up now. <laughs> um, <laughs> actually, in, in December and January, I was dealing with some plantar fasciitis, and so I was running some, but not uh, exactly ideal training, and I was cross-training a bit with skiing, but uh, towards the end of February is when I kind of got over the hump with plantar and, and began training in earnest. And so I had these, basically these, these four-week blocks that I did were it was three weeks up and one week down. And so I had um, about four of those. I did three weeks at 100 miles, one week at 90, three weeks at 120 miles, one week at 90, three weeks at 130 miles, one week at 90, and then I did two weeks at 140, about a 100-mile week, and then started to taper. Um, and <laughs> and are, you, are you planning all that training yourself? You don't, you don't work with a coach, right? Yeah, right. Oh. I kind of <laughs> came up with it all by myself. Yeah. <laughs> Very uh, creative and original. Um, but, you know, it's, it sounds like a lot and it, it certainly is, but I, I could have done more. Mm. Um, and that's, that's where I've gotten in trouble in the past where it's like, I start running a lot and I'm like, well, I can do more. And like, and in, 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 in the past. And I then did, you do and yeah, it doesn't work. Exactly. And so this time I, you know, I found myself kind of in the, like when I'm taking a down week, I'm like, I don't need a down week. I feel fine. Or, um, you know, like running 
you know, some of these, I, I kind of ended up getting into shape, like I said, a little quicker than I had imagined. I was like, I could bump, I could bump training more right now. And I was like, convincing myself to just stick to the plan. I was like that, you know, the, the suffering will come here, like towards the, towards the end of this training block. And you're going to wish that, you know, you, you had, you know, the energy and, um, and then especially it was like, you you know, you're going to want it on race day. You're not going to want to, you leave it all out here in, in the middle of April. Well said. Well said. It's so interesting. So we were talking to Matt Daniels earlier, and he's not a high a high volume guy. He's more of a sixty to eighty five mile a week guy. And I think it's interesting that one hundred and forty for you is restraint. That's like that's just enough. But I think that's a beautiful thing about our sport is that we can produce incredibly talented athletes at a like a very like a wide range of training strategies. And I know that you're going to go out there and focus on you on race day. And I'm just, I'm really curious to know if there's a specific thing about the course that you think is going to be your strength, a specific thing that you're worried about. Like, I know that you're going to go out there and you're going to race a very strategic race, not necessarily against the clock this year. So what is that going to look like? If we can get a, just a, a glimpse maybe. Yeah, I, I think my strength is my strength. Um, and so I, I envision a lot of the times in training running the last 20 miles um, and racing the last 20 miles. And so I think that, you know, and if you watch track and field, the Olympic trials are on right now, um, oftentimes the, the person who wins the race is the person who kicks last. And so I kind of want to be the one person who's, who's there the whole time and who makes the move last. Brilliant. And, you know, one of the things that I think we all love about the sport and cherish about our experiences in it is the friendships, right? And the fact that you and Jim are, are great friends, but yet you're the two fastest guys to ever run this race. He's going to be one of the biggest contenders that would keep you off the top of the podium this year. Your other friends from the Coconino Cowboys and Flagstaff are coming as well. I think there's a total of four of you this year. How do you think about that friendship dynamic? Do you guys carry a sense of team and camaraderie and maybe how have they helped you? How has your community helped to lift each one of you? Yeah, there, there is a, a, you know, a sense of, of team and more so just friendship. You know, we, we, could, we could never run together again and I think we would still hang out, you know, uh, multiple times a week and, and just get together for beers. But um, there's, there's all sorts of, you know, these things that happen over the course of a month, months long training block. And we've kind of seen each other through all of them. And, and we've always, and we've kind of been there supporting each other and helping each other out, um, through all of them. So of course I want to see every single one of those guys ha have a good race on Saturday. Cause I think, you know, they deserve it. And I think they've, you know, I've, I've seen the work that they put in. Um, but at the same time, like that, that competitive part, like that's, that's exactly what I want. We all want, you know, like we don't, I, I would go to a different race if I didn't want to risk losing, you know, yeah. um, I'm okay. You know, if I walk away, you know, Saturday and I'm second place again, like I'm going to be all right. Yeah. Uh, if, if Jim wins again, or if anybody else wins again, it's like, you know, um, it's not really always just about winning. Um, it's kind of, yeah, the process is, is very, uh, very rewarding. So. I get the sense that it's not so much maybe about winning for you, which, I mean, we're all competitive people, but maybe it's just getting the best out of yourself mm -hmm. on the day. Would you think that will be, that would make it satisfying if you know that you went out there and you, and you put the pieces together, even if you come up short, is that kind of where, where that energy is? Yeah, I think I also realize that, 
uh, a hundred mile race is it's very hard to have a perfect race. And so uh, no matter what happens, I'll probably Saturday or maybe Sunday realize that, you know, there's these little things along the way that maybe I felt like I, well, I could have ran faster if, I, you know, this had gone differently or that. But uh, I think that defeats the point of running 100 miles. It's just never going to be perfect. Um, so, yeah, I think if I can, I mean, I'm already, I'm, I'm very you know, satisfied with the, with the journey that has uh, gotten me here. And I'm just very, very excited to, to kind of see what will unfold uh, on Saturday. I believe I have what it takes to, to cross the finish line first. And so... Um, it's just going to be a bunch of like decisions and uh, kind of troubleshooting and all this stuff on race day that uh, I can only hope that I'm going to be good at. So, Jared, one of the things that I'm always fascinated about when I talk to athletes is how they get their confidence, right? For you, obviously, you're the second fastest person to ever run this course. Afterwards, you did well at Hong Kong, but then you had rough races at Trans Grand Canaria. Speed Goat, JFK, all sort of below your standard. And I don't think you've raced this year yet in the spring. So talk a little bit about your process. I know you must take your confidence from your training, but because you haven't done a lot of racing recently and the most recent races that you've done have been well below your standard, how do you step to the start line with the confidence that you do have what it takes to win? So yeah, I think a, a great point here is that I do take a lot of confidence from my training. And, um, uh, you know, I could probably make excuses for all of those races as to why they didn't go. Go great. ahead and list those, um, list those for the audience, please. Well, but the, yeah, basically the point is I had a few bad races and um, that just like, that never really gets to me because I've always had bad races from time to time. And uh, I actually always race really poorly the next race after Western States. Um, and so like, I think part of that was during the pandemic year, uh, Trans Grand Canary happened before that, but like Speedgoat and JFK was, they were kind of like these like last minute things where it was like, I don't, you know, maybe I found out like four weeks before, like, oh, this race is actually going to happen and, I'll, and I'm going to go. And so I, I had a really good year of training in 2020 and, um, was like really fit actually for both of those races, but I think maybe men like mentally, I don't know if I was fully invested in them. I was like, oh, it's just it's an opportunity. Like there's no opportunities right now. Like I'll I'll go I'll go race. Um, and yeah, I like had subpar races at both of them. And if it taught me anything, it was just to focus a little more. And so when I was thinking about uh, states this year and what I wanted to do, I was just like, I was getting healthy towards the end of winter and was thinking about some spring races. And I was like, I didn't know what was going to happen, obviously, because the pandemic was still um, pretty bad then. And so I kind of just came to the realization was like, you know, I don't, I don't think it's going to be beneficial for you to race um, regardless if races are happening this spring anyway. And that's when I kind of sat down and started charting out this long path to Western States. Cause I was just like, you know, you, I'd learned that you want to, you need to be very focused. You need to kind of pay attention to the little details and um, yeah, kind of prepare for everything. So speaking of little details, obviously we were all treated to once again, a, a nice cool year in 2019. Um, and that was kind of your first year back at Western States in a while. And so obviously we are looking at a, a very hot race this weekend, maybe the hottest in recent memory. 
So speaking of little things, what, I mean, obviously you've been running in the canyons, Flagstaff, definitely you can get some heat in the area. Phoenix has been, I mean, scorching. So what, you know, kind of, I mean, pre-race heat prep and then during race, how are you thinking about the heat and how you're going to mitigate and manage it on race day? Yes, this year will definitely be the hottest year that I've ever um, participated by far because I think in 2015, it was a high of 91 in Auburn. Um, that year actually had like a weird, like the low was pretty high, um, which was kind of the this only... This is the year you finished third. Yeah, right. Um, so there's actually like a pretty low finisher rate that year, like for the temperature. Uh, I dropped out of that race. Yeah. Yeah, yeah actually, we, we shared, I remember we shared some miles. Yeah, we did, we did. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it was, it's was crazy, but um, <laughs> regardless, I would like. I am acknowledging the heat; it, it's it's going to be hot. But like, I've run in the canyon just countless times when I've been down there, and the weather is a little hard. It's hard to get like an accurate like how hot is it actually down there. But you see these little printouts, and I'm running down there. And it's like, oh, the high today is 111. It's like it doesn't. I don't know if it's actually 111 down here, but it doesn't feel that hot. Um, and I've done some running. Um, I didn't even bother going to Sedona, Sedona, uh, Phoenix this year, like I have done in years past, because we had a pretty big heat wave come through Flag, and it was uh, it was 90 in Flag, and it was getting to be over 100 in Sedona. So I just drove down there uh, a few times and did some runs. Uh, and then on top of that, I've done uh, some sauna training um, for a, a month or two now. So with a bit of perspective now, looking back, as Corinne said, this is your fourth running. You did your first Western States back in 2014. You finished 14th, I think, that year. I think you were only 19 years old mm -hmm. that time. Uh, maybe just, like, look back at that. How, how do you think about that early experience at the race and, and how you've changed as a result? And um, you know, how Jared Hazen of today is similar and different from the 19-year-old back in 2014? Yeah, it's actually the, my, first, my first Western States, honestly, might have been my most fun. Uh, 2015 was actually really fun, too. But uh, I would say in 2015, I remember actually running with you and, like, Rob Carr and Seth Swanson. And I was, like, 20 years old with, like, a, just a singlet that, uh, yeah, like a friend had given me and it was like so fun just being like I, I don't know like I actually did think that I belonged there and that's why I was running with you guys but I was just like um, you know not ex it wasn't established or anything and 2014 it was like I was just starstruck I you know my parents came out we we like did some of the like pre-race activities and stuff <laughs> yes. uh, my dad was like why aren't, why aren't you taking notes like when we were at like one of like the, <laughs> at the crew like meeting? the crew meetings like well, you should be like writing this down and like, like one of the presenters was talking about like how dusty it was going to be and how if you're running in like a train of people like you're going to like get all this dust and I was like I don't think I'm going to be running like a train of people dad uh, but it was like yes it, you know the the lo like longer I've been in the sport like now when I come here it's like it's almost like a little more pressure like there's a few more things to do you know like more more interviews more expectations but uh, it's like it, it like sets the stage to be like a little bigger every year, you yeah. know? Uh, and before it was just like, I was, in 2014, you know, I was just a participant. Yeah. Um, and I, I was just here to, to run the race and do as best I could. And I guess that, that is still the same thing, but it's like, yeah, now I just have this really big goal that is reliant on like all these other <laughs> things happening. And yeah. so it, in, in some ways it, it is more complicated and it's a little more stressful, but it, yeah, just 
it sets the stage, I think, to make like the result that much bigger. Yeah. Yeah. Really beautifully said. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's been great to watch your career progression. And I think I speak for everybody in that we are really looking forward to seeing you run this course again for the fourth time. Jared, thank you so much for joining us. Good luck on Saturday. Thank you everybody for joining us both in person and digitally. Big round of applause for Jared Hazen before we get going. And finally, I just wanna also thank our sponsors with a lot of enthusiasm, Hoka Oneone, who has really pulled out all the stops to support the digital footprint of the Western States 100 this year. Corinne and I are gonna be talking into microphones basically nonstop until early Sunday morning, I think. So thank you to Hoka and Buff for supporting. Thank you to the coffee bar for keeping us fed, hydrated, caffeinated. Thank you to the men behind the camera, Ryan Thrower, Ethan Vosberg. Thank you to our live studio audience. We really appreciate you guys coming out. We will be back here 9 a.m. tomorrow morning, Thursday morning from Olympic Valley, right next to the start line. See you then. How fun was that? I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you did, we will be back at it tomorrow. Thursday, June 24th from 9 to 11 a.m. with another star-studded group of guests. You can watch it live or recorded on the Western States 100 YouTube channel, and we will put the audio in this feed as quickly as we can after the show is recorded. Okay, until tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Love you guys so much. Bye-bye.